0: Hello, and welcome back to New Books in Middle East Studies. I'm James Dorsey, the host of this channel. Today we'll be talking to Zoltan Pal about his new book, Salafism in Lebanon Local and Transnational Movements. Zoltan, welcome to the show. Perhaps you can start off by telling us a little bit about yourself.
1: Hello, um, I'm um, I'm Zoltan Pal, and uh, currently I'm a researcher, research fellow at the Middle East Institute uh, at the National University of uh, Singapore, and um, well, I'm a, I'm an expert on uh, transnational Islamic movements, uh, and my focus uh, has been especially on uh, Salafism. Uh, Salafism in the in the Middle East, in Lebanon, uh, Kuwait, and also uh, I uh, I have researched uh, the movements' transnational ramifications uh, in. Uh, Southeast Asia and uh, Europe. And uh, I just recently uh, published um, a book uh, on uh, Salafism in Lebanon, which is uh, a result of uh, of about 10 years uh, process of uh, research and uh, writing.
0: Perhaps you can talk a little bit about what your educational background is, but also... I know that you have a almost unique way, a way of researching certainly in Central Asia which you do by bicycle and maybe you want to talk a little bit about that and also you've and as you've done your research for your book you've encountered difficulties and perhaps you want to touch on that briefly.
1: Well my educational background is um, I'm by by profession I'm uh uh, I'm an anthropologist, but uh, um, my master's degree, uh, up until master, I studied um, Arabic studies, Arabic language and literature uh, at the university, at Eötvös University in uh, Budapest. And uh, after uh, uh, receiving my master's degree, I continued my studies uh, in the Netherlands, uh, where I completed my PhD in uh, social um Anthropology, and well, uh, I I consider myself as as I mean, I would say that I'm I'm uh, I'm working I'm, I'm using a, um, a multidisciplinary uh, method of research which. Uh, Mainly is based on uh, on ethnographic uh, fieldwork, which means that I, uh, when actually I have done this research uh, for, I have done the research for the book. I spent uh, years uh, on the field uh, in Lebanon, but also several months uh, in the Gulf, and uh, and while uh, I was staying in Europe, um, I extensively. Uh, Traveled to um, Germany and Sweden uh, to uh, uncover the uh, Lebanese Salafis' uh, transnational linkages there, and I followed a, set, uh, a few Lebanese Salafis from Lebanon uh, to Europe and observed uh, their career path during several years. Well, and it's good that you mentioned uh, mentioned the bicycle. Yes, um, actually, my hobby is cycling, and uh, um, and I like. Uh, Touring uh, with my bike, meaning that I basically use it as a means of uh, transportation uh, through uh, several countries that uh, that I visit. Uh, and I actually, while cycling through uh, Malaysia, Indonesia, uh, and other countries, I I observed that. Uh, Bicycle is also uh, cycling is also a way to uh, establish uh, contacts uh, with people, uh, connect easier. To uh, it, it, I observed that uh, locals uh, are are welcoming. Uh, Cyclists. So, for this reason, uh, it was much easier for me to uh, to interview people, to to have informal uh, uh, conversation with people in Malaysia, uh, Indonesia, but also in Cambodia. Uh, so, so actually, about well, my my project on on basically. A project of using bicycle as a as a means of research is still uh, in the stage of uh, of experiment. But uh, whenever I, I, I have time and uh, uh, can uh, uh, get away with my bike for a few days, uh, somewhere, especially to a Muslim country or a Muslim area, um, I'm I'm trying to utilize it uh, to uh, gain more data and uh, gain more experience uh, how to connect cycling to uh, to ethnography.
0: You sparked a lot of uh, curiosity because you're this white guy on two wheels in in, in areas where they don't but see that. Very um, awesome. So, usually, what, what we researchers
1: that one of the main difficulties what we um, researchers face is that they uh, so people tend to mix us up with uh, um, security agents. So it means that sometimes, you know, when when you when you arrive, uh, let's say with uh, with a bus or a taxi or or a plane to a certain area where you want to conduct interviews, uh, well, initially people are suspicious about you. They think that uh, actually you you uh, came uh, you disguise yourself uh, as a researcher, and uh, in fact you are. Uh, collecting data for CIA or Mossad or any kind of uh, Western uh, intelligence agency. Now they can't imagine uh, a white guy with a bicycle to to work for a security agency. I mean, it's uh, this is somehow just just not uh, not in their imagination. They can't imagine a CIA agent. Uh, uh, Arriving, you know, with a bike, uh, sweaty, uh, you know, cheap T-shirt and uh, and and a cheap uh, uh, cheap short or or, or trouser. So uh, I think my image uh, my image is, is different. So they, they think that I'm I'm just some kind of, of weird guy who who also might be interesting. So so they they themselves actually usually uh, look for uh, uh, talking to me and uh, and seek uh, contact. Yeah, that
0: didn't get, stop you from getting expelled from. Lebanon know, they, uh, at, at that point, time I wasn't
1: with bicycle, so yeah, I was expelled from Lebanon. I <laughs> uh, until today I, I don't really know why. I mean, I have uh, I have some clues, but uh, I don't I don't have a, an exact answer. Once uh, actually, I wanted to do field work. I f- I flew to uh, Lebanon and I was stopped at the airports, and uh, they just told me that they they won't allow me in, and uh, I have to leave. Uh, uh, with the first flight, uh, I was I was also detained for a couple of hours uh, uh, in a cell. So, so until today, I don't know I don't know why uh, this happened. I mean, I have uh, I have some ideas, but uh, but no hundred uh, percent accurate information. Would you want to share those ideas? Yeah, I or? think, yes. Uh, I think uh, it's most probably uh, what I heard from, from a friend of mine, a Lebanese friend of mine, is that he made some informal investigation and uh, and he found that most probably uh, an officer, an, an immigration officer, uh, well, just wanted to show that, that he's doing something and uh, uh, wanted to appear prominent. So uh, he uh, raised a case... Against me, which uh, eventually didn't stand. So, so the the immigration authorities found out that there's there's nothing on me. So they they cancel this case. But uh, but it didn't. This cancellation didn't happen before I was expelled from the country. And have you been back since? Yes. I, I, yeah. I yeah. I I I been back, and there was no problem.
0: Okay. Let's take a step back. And tell us a little bit uh, how you got, uh, what sparked your interest in looking, first of all, at Salafism, and second of all, at Salafism in in Lebanon. All
1: right. So, um, after, like, immediately after um, finishing my master in Arabic studies, uh, uh, I became a journalist. So... um, I was uh, a foreign correspondent for a Hungarian uh, daily paper, which was called Nap Sabacek. Unfortunately, this used to be the biggest uh, uh, daily paper in Hungary, but uh, uh, in a, I mean, a few years ago, uh, it was uh, closed. But that time, uh, it was flourishing and was very popular, and I was. Uh, uh probably writing uh, uh for this paper i, I lived in beirut and uh, and I, I was sending uh, uh articles and uh, analysis on uh the political situation uh in both countries in syria and lebanon in like between uh, i was i was corres- i mean i was working uh for this paper as a correspondent foreign correspondent uh in Between 2007 and 2009, Mm -hmm. and um, well, while exploring uh, uh, Lebanon as a as a journalist, I um, I realized that certain transformations are going on uh, in the country's uh, Sunni community. I bumped into um, several Salafis, especially when I was uh, traveling and wandering around. the Sunni villages uh, of the north I uh, I realized that um, there are certain sheikhs who are um, more respected uh, by the local population than uh, than others and uh, they happen to uh, spread um, a kind of literalist vision um, uh, of um, Islam and then I I found this interesting uh, uh, that time it was still a small movement, but uh, I expected that it might actually grow uh, into prominence, uh, especially because a political uh, situation was given. So um, around 2008, uh, I, um, I started to look for a way uh, into academia, and uh, I sent a proposal. Um, Research proposal to the Netherlands, uh, and based on this proposal, I received um, four months fellowship to ISIM in Leiden, which, which was a a prominent uh, institution for uh, research. Yeah,
0: that was the institute for in the mo- the modern study of Islam, in the international East institute for study of
1: Islam okay. in the modern world. Uh, in the modern world, yeah. and uh, so I spent four four months in that in that institute, and. Uh, I had a chance to uh, discuss with several um, members and uh, researchers of, of that institute, and uh, so there I, I came into the conclusion that uh, there is still a huge gap uh, of literature uh, on Salafism, and no one has written anything serious on uh, on this movement in Lebanon. Uh, so during these four months, I actually uh, prepared a Ph.D. proposal, uh, a more serious research proposal uh, on Salafism in Lebanon, which was accepted. Uh, and uh, I got uh, several fellowships uh, in Holland, which allowed me to uh, pursue my Ph.D. Uh, studies and uh, receive my uh, doctorate degree. Uh,
0: you talked about, but you didn't elaborate it right now, or just now, uh, although you do uh, obviously do that in the book but maybe you can do it now, about when you were a journalist in Lebanon and you observed not only that some um, Islamic scholars were more popular than others, but that you were noticing transitions in the country. Uh, Can you talk a little bit about those transitions and the role that Salafism or more literalist uh, interpretations of Islam played in those transitions?
1: Yes, well... um... Of course, one of the most important uh, developments uh, for Salafism was the withdrawal of uh, um, of the Syrian army from the country. So this is what you mean, right? The the, the political developments after two thousand five.
0: Well, more than yeah, I, I probably yes. But I was referring to the transitions that you were talking about in your initial answer, which I probably. Yeah, what well, I
1: mean, <clears throat> Well, there was a, there was a there was a gap uh, uh, in the Sunni community, like a um, a vacuum of uh, of authority. So so after after the withdrawal of uh, of the Syrians uh, and the collapse of the so called uh, uh, Syrian Lebanese uh, security regime, uh, a gap emerged. Um, I mean, Salafis, Salafis became free, actually, to proselytize, so there, they didn't face that much uh, that much oppression um, anymore. And at the same time...
0: Um... If I can interrupt you, just so we f- uh, fill in uh, listeners, the Syrians intervened in 1976, if I'm not incorrect, in the Lebanese Civil War and they were there till after the 2005 uh, assassination of Prime Minister Rafi Kariri, and that's when they withdrew, and and, and you had a substantial change in that, correct?
1: Now, also, um, like serious political tensions emerged uh, between different uh, players of the Lebanese political field especially between the uh, Sunni-led uh, future movement which uh, which is basically a political party that emerged around uh, uh, the uh, late Rafiq uh, Rafiq al-Hariri and uh, after his assassination uh, his son Saad al-Hariri and on the other side, Hezbollah. After the, the Syrian Hezbollah intended to increase its participation uh, in the Lebanese uh, government, uh, many Sunnis uh, actually became frightened. They uh, they uh, imagined that Hezbollah might try actually to to dominate uh, the country, and well, this was this was a fertile fertile ground of Salafists to. Um, to actually frame the situation according to their own um, uh, discourse and uh, and virtue and they they package this into uh, into a, in, into a, into the a frame of a kind of mannequin struggle in which uh, there is a there is a conspiracy uh, which has been uh, going on since the uh, first century uh, of Islam and now it's uh, it's culminating culminating in uh, in Hezbollah, Iran's and Hezbollah's attempt to uh, to take over not only not only Lebanon but the whole Middle East. But Lebanon is one of the playgrounds, uh, a site of uh, uh, of Iraq, for instance, or Bahrain.
0: Um, just to be clear, I mean, you know, people make various um, categorizations of Salafism. Uh, perhaps the most important one being between those that are called quietist, with other words. They're, not, they're non-political. They don't engage in political activity and more activist um, uh, uh, interpretations and, and groups. And I assume that we're talking in Lebanon, the groups that you're talking about, those were more activist...
1: Uh, well, both uh, both networks uh, or both streams can be found in Lebanon. Uh, the act- Lately, the activists became definitely stronger, but... Uh, the quietists or what I call them purists are, uh, of course, still present and are still um, significant. Uh, these these actually these streams are uh, or, or networks also have different uh, uh, donors, different uh, uh, supporters who are based in uh, uh, in the countries of the uh, Gulf. Now, do you want me to elaborate? Basically, what's the difference between them? No, not necessarily. But if you want to, of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, just uh, just in brief. Uh, of course, uh, as you mentioned, the the quietists they or purists, they mainly focus uh, focus in religious practices. They they usually, uh, if they engage in in, in politics. Uh, they usually do this for securing their, uh, their own autonomy. So for instance, the, the, the purists in Lebanon uh, supported certain uh, candidates during the 2009 uh, elections in order to, to get support from, uh, from politicians and, and also kind of political cover to be able to continue their uh, activities. Well, the activists, uh, they are more, they, they, they engage in, they, they more likely engage in political activism and also uh, social uh, activism. Uh, they still want to create a society based on, uh, on, on Salafi principles, but uh, they also use uh, the tools of party politics uh, for the sake of, uh, of transforming society and the, the one one uh, important uh, um, aspect uh, or aspect of the difference between these two uh, streams is that the purists believe that the ruler i mean the muslims have to obey uh, the, Musl- the 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 ruler until uh, he is not openly uh, an apostate and also muslim the, like the the ruled are not allowed to criticize uh, um, the ruler openly; only only in secret. Uh, while the activists or harakis in Arabic, they think that uh, that uh, the mistakes of the ruler can be uh, corrected also publicly.
0: Um, you talked about uh, how, in a sense, the Syrian withdrawal from Lebanon. Uh, gave them momentum. Can you talk a little bit about what the impact has been of the Syrian civil war on on, on Salafi activity in Lebanon?
1: Yes, well, it had it had grave impact. As um, of course, the Syrian civil war has influenced tremendously the um, political life in Lebanon and. Uh, uh, Different segments of the Lebanese society uh, took different sides uh, regarding the Syrian civil war. So, for example, uh, the the Shias, who are perhaps the the largest sectarian group in, uh, group in the country, stood besides uh, uh, the regime of uh, Bashar al-Assad, while the majority of the Sunnis supported the uh, opposition, which is which was also overwhelmingly uh, Sunni. Now, now the <coughs> now Hezbollah also militarily participated uh, in this conflict, and also several Sunnis uh, themselves, uh, Lebanese Sunnis, fought uh, with the opposition against uh, the regime. The Salafis, uh, well, at least... Well, officially, they supported uh, the opposition with with both uh, political and uh, and and material tools. I mean, uh, for instance, financial tools or helping uh, uh, Syrian refugees, sending uh, 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 different goods, um, technical uh, assistance, etc., to to the opposition. And. Uh, at the same time, the, the conflict in Syria uh, gave impetus to Salafi discourse which projected the opposition of the Sunnis and the Shi'a's uh, in a certain um, religious cloud. So, uh, self is often argued that what's going on in Syria is is one of the signs of the end of times when when Muslims uh, uh, are fighting uh, an unbeliever uh, army. So, uh, and this this uh, this battle is or this this war is taking place in the Sham region, which is which which is basically. Uh, the historical Syria that uh, includes Lebanon uh, Syria contemporary Syria Jordan Palestine part of Iraq and the part of Turkey and uh, for so so basically the Salafi preachers gave a plausible uh, explanation for for many people uh, what's happening
0: you um earlier put this development partly in the context of a sectarian divide between Sunnis and Shias, which automatically takes you to uh, the rivalry between Saudi Arabia and Iran, in which uh, Lebanon has always been a battlefield. Can you uh, elaborate a little bit on that and the role of the Salafis in that?
1: Often uh, people like to draw direct links between uh, the Salafis in Lebanon and Saudi Arabia. Well, this is not. uh, This is a little bit more complex than that. Uh, Indeed, Saudis used to be, or or Saudis always uh, uh, have been one of the major, uh, if you like, sponsors of uh, of Sunnis. Uh, and supporters, transnational supporters of uh, of the Sunni uh, confessional group, in Lebanon, but most of the Saudi finances don't go to the Salafis, but. Uh, for for example, the official uh, Sunni religious establishment that Al fatwa which is definitely not Salafi, although you find Salafis uh, among them, but uh, the majority is more traditionalist and Sufi oriented, uh, or the uh, or or support goes to the Lebanese politicians and maybe a fragment of support uh, to the Salafis. In fact, if you if you look at the Lebanese Salafi scene, as I actually explain in my book. Uh, The major financial donors uh, are Qatari and Kuwaiti charities uh, of the Salafis. While it doesn't forbid uh, the Salafis to take side side in this uh, rivalry, as many of them look at Saudi Arabia as the larger Sunni force, uh as the, the best bet to uh, save if you like to save the uh, uh to ahla sunna or the sunni community uh from uh, uh the shi conspiracy but i mean I, I wouldn't i wouldn't uh uh dare to say that that salafis are uh, uh agents of of the Saudis, because this, this wouldn't be true.
0: You talk, obviously, a lot in your book about the whole funding structure out of the Gulf, and you've referred yes. to it also. so <laughs> um, perhaps you could talk a little bit more about uh, <coughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> sorry. Yes, perhaps you could talk a little bit more about that funding structure and what the motivation behind the funding is, um, and also, I mean, probably less so in the case of Qatar, but possibly in the case of Kuwait, where you know, uh, funding uh, funding streams have, in a sense, changed as a result of post nine eleven crackdown on funding and, and the way and 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 more control of funding in Saudi Arabia. And to what extent Kuwaiti charities also are a funnel for uh, Saudi funds? or maybe not.
1: Well, uh, actually, to uh, to start with the last point you um, you made. Uh, well, I mean, it's very difficult to find uh, like exact or hard data on on how much uh, uh, Saudi money is going to Kuwaiti charities or uh, or other charities. Well uh there is since since well the cloud uh, the saudi government clamped down on on its own charity sector so uh definitely many like Saudi ordinary people uh, might actually channel uh, their religious taxes for instance or or just uh, uh, donations uh, which which they want to make for the sake of muslims abroad uh, they might channel this money through kuwaiti charities so uh, it, it is quite uh, it's it's quite common that uh, uh, Saudi citizens go to kuwait as as tourists and uh, that might be possible that uh, That they give donations uh, to certain charities. But again, it's becoming more and more difficult now um, in Kuwait because uh, previously it was possible to give your donations uh, uh, in the mosques. There there used to be um, like a. certain offices or, or even just donation boxes uh, in the most where you could leave your uh, whatever whatever money you wanted to donate. Now you have officially in Kuwait you have to make this donation through uh, ban- through your bank account. And well about this funding structure so it's uh, it's actually quite a complex uh, structure. One of the main elements of this uh, are uh, charities. And I I mention in my book uh, uh, I elaborate on uh, two charities, especially two charities. One one is the uh, the Qatari, uh Sheikh Aid Charity Organization Charity Foundation. This is uh, this charity is based in Qatar, and it it's it's a waqf, an Islamic religious endowment, which uh, was established. Uh, by the uh, fund of given by a fund given by uh, one of the members of the ruling Al fani family. Uh, well, this charity is it's not like it's not an explicitly Salafi charity. They they give money to to many kind of uh, of Muslim, uh, Muslims to uh, to Muslims from uh, different ideological background. For instance, when I traveled in Indonesia, I. I observed also that uh, they finance uh, uh, modernist Muslims, but uh, in Lebanon, the main recipients are uh, are activist Salafis. Uh, the other uh, main Salafi charity organization uh, that I mention in my book is. Um, Jariat Ihya al Islami, or uh, the Society for the Revival of Islamic uh, Heritage. This is a Kuwaiti charity. This is one of the largest uh, Salafist or Muslim charities uh, in the world. It's a prominent organization in Kuwait. It's not only um, a charity, it's also a political party that. Uh, has been representing itself, uh, or at least it re- it's represented itself in the Kuwaiti parliament for more than three decades. Now, actually, they don't have a single member because they they lost uh, the last elections. And uh, they are present in more than 50 countries uh, around the world, and including uh, Lebanon. They are the main founders of the Purist Salafis, And as I mentioned uh, before, that Purist Salafists, while they are not explicitly political. They focus mostly in, um, in uh, correcting uh, religious practices and, uh, and spreading correct belief, what they actually perceive as, or, or uh, as correct belief. Uh, they often represent themselves in, uh, or they, they often participate in the political game. Uh, simply, simply, In order to secure uh, their uh, autonomy, their proselytization, and uh, so so charities are the main uh, uh, main one of the main channels of uh, uh, of funds for selfies. But at the same time, you have uh, several private donors who who might actually uh, even donate uh, informally let's say, uh, uh, tourists travel to Lebanon and uh, uh, leave some money um, at an orphanage, at a mosque, or just uh, uh, give a few thousand dollars uh, to friends? Or, or let's say invest in something, in some kind of business, let's say in opening a restaurant, which, uh, which then is going to be controlled by, uh, by Lebanese Salafis?
0: Would, would you describe these charities as a wholly private initiatives, uh, that stay private, or would you uh, suggest that they also uh, serve a purpose for, for example, the guttery or the Kuwaiti government in some form or other?
1: Well, look in the Gulf, uh, you cannot make a, a clear distinction between civil society and the uh, or the non-institutional political sphere. I would say that, uh, for instance, in Kuwait, well. Yeah, Torah is officially private, but they often uh, received uh, support from uh, from the ruling family. I mean, uh, the Kuwaiti ruling family. So, that, so the uh, the political system in Kuwait is um, is uh, is a. parliamentary so it is officially a constitutional monarchy uh, which has a quite influential Parliament Uh, now the ruling family uses this Parliament to uh, check on the various political forces of the country uh, and they usually intend to fragment uh, political forces political parties uh, play each other Play, 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 one, uh, one against another. Uh, this is happening uh, in the Sunni Islamic uh, segment of this uh, of this political field. For instance, in the nineteen eighties, the government supported Salafis. Uh, 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 help Salafists financially and politically to to grow uh, in order to forbid the Muslim Brotherhood to monopolize this uh, 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 Sunni Islamic segment of of Kuwait's uh, uh, political field. Uh, And for instance, currently what's happening is that uh, the government, again, is supporting Salafis uh, who are affiliated to Ikhyaatul uh, uh They have, have uh, uh, provided uh, high-ranking institution, institutional political positions to uh, to Salafis. Again, in order to counter uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. So in this case, yes, uh, there is definitely uh, uh, a state influence uh, uh, in these charities. Well, in Qatar. Obviously, the whole charity belongs to uh, the ruling family, so so you can't have uh, uh, private and, uh, uh,
0: and non-private distinction. And presumably, the funding structure, as you've just uh, laid it out, and detailed it in, in, in great detail in your book about Lebanon, is applicable not only to Lebanon, but to multiple but
1: Definitely. Companies. I mean, of course, there are always differences, but I have made similar observations uh, during my field work in Indonesia and most recently in Cambodia. In the past uh, two years, I spent several months in Cambodia where there is a a Muslim minority and uh, one of the biggest uh, actors uh, among Cambodian Muslims uh, is uh, the same Salafi charity, Heaturath, that supports um, the Lebanese Salafis with uh, Dozens of uh, of schools, uh, uh, yeah, clinics, uh, and other representatives in the country. So yes, you can you can basically uh, you can tell that this this, this kind of funding sheen, uh, scheme uh, exists uh, elsewhere as well.
0: You talked about and you talk about in your book also obviously um, about the the political environment or the the environment in which the Salafis uh, gained traction. Um, I wonder whether you could talk a little bit more, more about the social economic factors that uh, underlie the rise of the Salafis in Lebanon and perhaps in some of the other countries that you've looked at.
1: Well, I guess it's, it's a very complex uh, uh, issue. Well. I still think actually that uh, uh, that in Lebanon um, the the political situation is one of the one of the main reasons of the of the emergence of uh, of Salafism. But at the same time, um, sorry. as I elaborated uh, in one of one of my chapters, the kind of re- relative deprivation of uh, of lower middle class young people is a is an important factor uh, of. Uh, uh, why Salafis uh, gain traction? Uh, gain traction in the, in the society. They are facing uh, one thing. They are facing a kind of material um, instability, uh, an uncertainty of future, uh, in a society which is which is going more and more to a, a neoliberal way. So Salafism, self Salafism, uh, with its black and white, clear cut nature. Uh, Provides provides something certain uh, in an uncertain world. That if you if you follow correct uh, correct Islam, you belong to the elite. You you belong to the best of humanity. Uh, it at, at the same time, Salafists provide community um, for uh, for these young people, moral support.
0: I guess in a way, if you look, you know, if you. Uh, abstract from the the the, the religious uh, aspect of Salafism. In many ways, it's what uh, the appeal is of uh, of populism in the West to to various groups, or what why uh, Donald Trump appeals to various groups. It's that same trend of those who feel left out by society or marginalised. And, and are looking for, for some framework.
1: Yeah, but I think uh, I think it's well. It, it, you can make a very, very rough comparison, but uh, I think that the Donald Trump kind of populism is much more shallow. So at least uh, Salafism has a canon. It has uh, it has a, a much more elaborate system, which which can be actually also much much longer lasting than uh, than Western um, populism.
0: And and do you look at the rise of Salafis in Lebanon, for example, and their their growing influence within the Sunni Muslim community as something that is uh, temporary, or is that something that we're going to see stay for a a a, a significantly extended? It it
1: it already it it has been around for, for 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 quite a while, so so it is. It, well, I mean, I don't think that it's gonna it's going to last forever, especially in Lebanon. I mean, nothing lasts forever. So, uh, so this is a country which uh, which is prone for, for rapid changes, especially due to its uh, unstable political and social uh, makeup. But uh, I think it's I think Salafism in Lebanon is surprisingly uh, long lasting, and and perhaps because of the factors that I just uh, uh, mentioned before. But uh, I can imagine that uh, that uh, perhaps another uh, movement or ideological stream uh, gets more more traction than Salafism. Um, people might might also be disappointed because, uh, uh, well, beyond like beyond. Uh, uh, providing a certain kind of community and moral support, uh, I don't think that Salafis uh, are able to uh, deliver uh, much of their promises. For instance, uh, well, one thing is that many Lebanese indeed uh, expect that this kind of, uh, of uh, apocalyptic war in Syria is happening and, uh, and the end of time is closed. But, you know, if, if let's say there's some kind of closure Happens in Syria, and this and and and, and this kind of apocalypse won't happen. Then you know this is something what the Salafis got wrong.
0: Right, and obviously they're they're unable really to produce jobs on a, on a major scale. Or economic progress, which are really some of the driving grievances.
1: Yeah, but of course this is one of the driving grievances. But again, Salafis they they don't promise. They don't tell that they are going to that if they are not. They don't aspire to govern the country. They they don't uh, they don't promise uh, what they what they tell tell to people. Well, if you. If you become better Muslims, then your situation is going to be better because God is going to side with you. Well, if uh, this situation of the Sunni Muslims in Lebanon won't progress, won't, uh, won't get better, Salafists simply will tell, well, we told you, be better Muslims, and then your situation, your situation will be better. You will be richer. Your, your society will be more stable. But then you didn't follow our advice obviously so in, in this case in this case you know it's like uh like salafists on one hand uh you know provide uh, provide a very easy solution it's like uh well you want to you want to better your situation pray uh, uh abandon uh, harmful religious innovations uh, uh be uh, uh a good Muslim who follows the un- uncorrupted version of Islam. But if, if you don't do that, so it's there have, was they have an easy excuse because they can tell that, well, your situation is bad because uh, because you are a bad Muslim.
0: Right. Uh, obviously, you know, the popularity of, of the Salafis, like of any other group, ebbs and flows, and at some point will ebb. But having said that... Uh, you talked about uh, the, uh, the political environment being one of the reasons for the rise of the Salafis. And so the question is, even if they don't engage in directly in government politics or uh, parliamentary politics, to what extent do they have an impact on, uh, on the politics of the country, as well as? Uh, even if they don't convert large masses to Salafism as such, um, they are a very conservative movement. And do you see, as a result, the Sunni Muslim community in Lebanon becoming more conservative?
1: About certain segments of the of, of the Sunni community, definitely yes. Uh, so, uh, if, if, to give you an example. Um, in uh, Lebanon, I met several and I had contacts uh, with several Sunni Muslim young people who, who drank alcohol, who had an absolutely secular lifestyle. And let's say while having a beer or two together and some even touch the uh, question of religion, the imagination uh, of Islam was identical to, to the Salafist. So something which is, uh, which is very sharp, uh, which sets up very sharp, sharp boundaries. So to, to give you an example, these, uh, these young guys, they liked listening to music, but they admitted to me that, uh, well, uh, any kind of music is uh, is haram. It's not permissible by Islam. They are just doing. They are, they are listening to music because they are they are bad Muslims. So this is this is an obvious impact of Salafism. At the same time, uh, there framing of uh, of the of the ongoing political uh, tensions and their views on on the Shia community was also very similar to uh, what the salafis uh, uh, propagate so they also despite not being practicing muslims uh, they also tended to uh, frame uh, the ongoing political tensions between Hezbollah and the Sunni political parties or Sunni political forces uh,
0: in a in a sharp uh, religious clout. I mean, Lebanon's unique in many ways, of course, but one of the ways that it's unique is that it has Hezbollah, which is a uh, uh, a very strong popular movement Shia Muslim movement within Lebanon, which from the longest period of time certainly prior to hezbollah's involvement in the syrian war was a popular movement also because it was a resistance movement against the israelis and many lebanese credited hezbollah with forcing the israelis to withdraw from lebanon ultimately militarily uh and uh, what I, what I was saying... Okay, let me start over. What I was saying is Lebanon is unique in many ways, one of them being the existence of Hezbollah, which is a very popular Shia movement with a military wing that uh, gained a lot of popularity in uh, Lebanon prior to the, uh, Hezbollah's in, intervention in the, Syrian Lebanon, Lebanon, in the Syrian civil war. Because it was credited with forcing the Israelis to militarily withdraw from Lebanon, and it's fought an x number of wars with with Israel since. Um, and of course, it has very strong links to Iran. Does that make uh, does that indeed make Lebanon unique? And does that uh, make the rise of the Salafis in Lebanon unique?
1: Well, yes. Uh, in certain ways, yes, because um, because well, what what the Salaf is utilised uh, in order to gain more prominence is uh, is definitely the sectarian tension. As as you mentioned, Hezbollah was indeed the resistance movement for uh, for a long time, but uh, after two thousand five, it increasingly uh, and especially after the two thousand six war uh between uh with, with Israel it increasingly became a sectarian militia meaning that uh it increasingly started to rely uh, on its own community uh and several uh because because of the of the ongoing political tensions because of Hezbollah's attempt to uh, and actually successful attempt to to bring down the Hariri government and uh, force itself uh um one-third presence uh, in a so-called national unity government this this kind of move when the party blocked uh, the Riyadh Sol Square the center of Beirut alienated uh, many of the Sunni supporters so uh, Hezbollah ceased to uh, like gradually ceased to uh, be a a national resistance movement and became more of a sectarian militia. This uh, tendency uh, uh, continued uh, during the uh, 2008 uh, May clashes uh, when Hezbollah and its uh, allies uh, uh, took over. by force uh, downtown beirut so uh, so when this uh, when w- when this happened it was it became increasingly uh, easier to to project these development uh, developments as uh, as in a in a frame of uh, of religious conflict, sectarian conflict, and uh, and move away from uh, from being uh, as a purely uh, political conflict. So this uh, this definitely uh, made Salafism in a way unique in Lebanon because in other countries Salafism uh, start with uh, less with with kind of sect- sectarian uh, uh, propagation, but by uh, by, by missionary uh, activities, proselytization, and uh, uh, building up, building up their um, their popularity uh, based on a strong core who are actually committed Salafists and then attracting uh, uh, a larger, larger pool of uh, of what I would call uh, passive uh, followers or supporters.
0: One one last question related to your book. Uh, You described Hezbollah as increasingly a uh, uh, sectarian movement. Uh, Salafis, of course, are also sectarian in in their own way, often strongly anti-Shiite. So does that mean that we're seeing uh, a spiral of sectarianism in Lebanon?
1: Yes, uh, that has been going on for for a long time, yes.
0: Okay, well, listen... I think this has taken up a lot of your time and, and thank you very much for this. But before I let you go, what I would like to do, Zoltan, is ask you, where do you go from here? What's your next uh, project?
1: Well, currently I'm, uh, I'm working on uh, the Middle East. Uh, uh, so Middle Eastern charity networks uh, in Southeast Asia. Um, for... Uh, a while i have been focusing on uh the presence of kuwaiti uh, and activities of kuwaiti charities uh, in uh, cambodia and uh well my next project is uh well i i already uh, wrote a few manuscripts on this issue and my next project is uh, uh, trying uh, to put together a book manuscript uh, uh, on this uh, at the same time, I'm also working uh, with uh, my former supervisor, Professor Martin van Brijnessen, on an edited volume
0: uh, on Salafism in Southeast Asia. Both sound like great projects, which we certainly will look forward to. I want to thank you for being on the show today. I really enjoyed it, learned a lot, and wish you all the best. Thank you very much.